Hey, listen, I have very, something very specific I wanted to share with you. Uh, the challenge is, is that we've got everyone from newborns to oldborns in the house. And so, you know, at Soma, we really love to teach the word. Uh, we like to dig in. Um, we like to uh, walk away feeling like we, we really got something that we can uh, feast on for the next week. And we're going to get that tonight. But I'm, I'm going to need some help. Uh, from a few young people, and they knew who they, they know who they are. So if you guys want to come up, and uh, they know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, this young lady, who happens to be my daughter, is going to hold the lamb. Okay, you guys can stand right here. I want you guys to take a look. They're gonna they're gonna stand here for a second. Remember, you're right over here. Yeah, just like that. Take a look at what these guys are holding. It's going to make a little bit more sense as we go. And uh, I really am going to try to take um, somewhat of a difficult thing and make it very palatable for all of us tonight. And uh, their help is going to be huge. Okay, so let's give, we're going to give them a pre-applause. We're going to give them a mid-applause and a post-applause. And you guys all know the humor in that right there. Okay, okay. Yeah. So let's go ahead and give them the pre-applause. Thank you. Yes. All right, we're going to get back to what all that is, and hopefully that's going to pique your interest and make you pay really close attention. So these guys are going to go ahead. If y'all want, you can either sit down there on the steps, or you can just go right there on the seat. Why don't you just go over there so that they don't have to look at you the whole time? That would be all right. (laughs) That's nervous. It's scary being in front of people. It really is. The people baptizing, it's scary. How many of you, you know what it's like to be in front of people? It's scary. But some people pass out when they're in front of people. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't pass out. Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay really close attention tonight. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to come back around to those things. But I want to ask you a question. Uh, how, many have you, how many of you have ever heard of the seven feasts of Israel? Raise your hand. Good. If you are a part of Soma Family, you hear us reference that from time to time at different seasons. We've done a study through those. But you may, not have ever, you may not have ever heard those in the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 23. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed time, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, My appointed times are these. And then God goes on to give some specific instructions about each of those feasts. Those feasts have become known as the seven feasts of the Lord. Looking back and listening back over those scriptures, and we don't have PowerPoint tonight, so you'll just have to really tune in. Remember that he said that these are going to be holy convocations. Convocation just means gather them all. It means 100% participation. Everyone had to be involved in these appointed times. That word appointed times, it just means feast. If you're looking in your Bible in Leviticus 23, it might say my, my feast, or it might say my appointed times. It might say my festivals. Um, really, it's, it's, it's a gathering. It's like a party. But what's interesting is that word also can mean a dress rehearsal. Now think about this. My dress rehearsals shall be these. And they're holy convocations. Everybody's got to participate in these dress rehearsals. And I want to tell you why they are dress rehearsals and everyone had to participate. That's because, and you can write this down if you can remember it, the seven feasts of the Lord are a prophetic timeline 
of God's redemptive plan of salvation. In other words, each one of these feasts points ahead to how Jesus, their Messiah, our Messiah, would reconcile the world back to God, who he is, what he would do. Every year, Israel was required to celebrate these seven feasts. There was four feasts that were celebrated in the spring and then three feasts that were celebrated in the fall. Some of those feasts seemed like they were only related to um, like uh, agricultural cycles. They had to do, they, they were in sync with their agriculture, their agricultural cycles. But other feasts were important historical events that they were supposed to remember, that they were supposed to celebrate. But all of them, whether they were agricultural, uh, agricultural events or they were historical events, they were designated by God to be dress rehearsals for what they could expect their Messiah to do. And that's why he commanded them to be holy convocations. Everyone involved, 100% participation. Because listen, you guys, if you don't already know this, let me tell you, God loves his people. And he doesn't want anyone to miss out on his redemptive plan for their life. Amen. Okay, now as a whole, the Jewish people, sadly, they've missed this, but Jesus has already fulfilled four of the seven feasts. Jesus has already fulfilled the spring feast, the, the feast that happened in the spring. It would take hours for me to go through all seven feasts and teach you about all that kind of stuff. I don't have that kind of time, but I do want to look at three specific feasts, and we're going to focus on uh, the third feast. So we're going to look at one, two, and three with a focus on the third feast. Let me go ahead and give you this title of the sermon. Uh, some people like to write the titles down, and it's, it's real simple tonight. Resurrection Life. Resurrection Life. If you're writing notes, write that down. And those of you who are part of the family, some of you may become part of the family, you know that I like to give a sermon in a sentence. One sentence that kind of sums up what I'm trying to say tonight. Here's my sermon in a sentence tonight. God always comes through with the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. So the first Keep that in mind. God always comes through with the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. We'll circle back around to that. The first three feasts are the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruit. There is a fourth spring feast. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Most of you know it as Pentecost. We're not going to really be talking about that one. We're going to look at the first three. The first one is Passover. Passover was meant to celebrate the salvation that the Jews experienced when the angel of death passed over them because they had put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. We know that story. Passover was meant to be reminded or to remind the people that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We talked about that earlier. We know that now as Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's, that's the essence of feast number one. Passover. Feast number two is called unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was meant to be a reminder of how quickly Israel had to leave Egypt. So quickly that they were told that not to put leaven in their bread because their, their bread would not have time to rise. So they were going to be a people on the go. They needed to be ready to go. Don't put leaven. Don't put uh, yeast in your bread. Okay, so in the Bible... Yeast or leaven is symbolic of sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, 
Paul says, get rid of the old yeast. And please hear this. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In verse 8 it says, therefore let us keep the feast. Did y'all hear that? Let us keep the feast, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and of truth. See, Israel didn't realize it at the time, but God was not only separating Israel from their slavery, he was also delivering them from the Egyptian wickedness that had seeped into their own hearts and into their homes. You guys hear what I'm saying? So unleavened bread was meant to be, the feast of unleavened bread was meant to be a reminder of God's call on their lives to be a holy people. They themselves were supposed to be an unleavened people, set apart from all the other nations of the world to be a witness to God. Are you with me? You guys with me? If you're not with me, don't tell me. It'll make me nervous and I'll start preaching weird. <coughs> Got a bad cough. That's why I'm using this one tonight. That's why I get Anyway, so let's talk about feast number three. Feast number three is called first fruits. The feast of first fruits. First fruits was considered an agricultural feast. Okay? It was a time of expressing their worship to God with their first and their best. Specifically, the barley harvest. And I'm just going to read this right here to you. The first crop that was planted by the Hebrews was barley. It was planted in the winter and would start ripening in the spring. The first sheaf, or the first fruits of this harvest, was cut and then presented to the Lord in a very meticulous ceremony. They called that ceremony the wave offering. And listen to this, they could not do anything with any other part of the harvest until they offered the first fruits. And the Lord's acceptance of the first fruits was an earnest or like a pledge, like a promise that he would produce and bring about a full harvest. In other words, there's like a a cycle to this offering. They knew that God would produce an abundant harvest, so they offered him the first of what was to come. On the flip side of that, they offered the first of what was to come so that the rest of the harvest would be blessed and abundant. Do you guys see that? We're familiar with the, with the concept. It's the same way we view giving our first and best to the Lord in tithing. We know that God is faithful to provide when we trust him with our tithe, and so we cheerfully give it. On the flip side of that coin, we offer 10% of our income to the storehouse so that the rest of our finances will be blessed. We get the concept. Okay, so the feast of first fruits was like, it was like a call to consider their, their priorities. What are your priorities here? What, what things are first for you my people, to make sure that they were putting God first in their lives, that harvest, uh, that harvest there on first fruits was meant to be a reminder that God is the one who is their provider. You guys hear what I'm saying? He is the source of all blessing. Man, I'm talking about this and I'm already getting worked up. It's like I want to just keep going and telling you all that we could uh, study about the feast. I wish I had time to do that. But what we do know, uh, we've already learned tonight, is that the feasts were a dress 
rehearsal. That they're a prophetic timeline of God's redemptive plan, right? Okay, so now let's look really quick at how Jesus fulfilled those first three. We're only going to look at the first three. The first one is Passover, and that one's pretty obvious. It was the blood of the lamb over the homes that caused the spirit of death to pass over the people of Israel. It's the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world over our heart that saves us from death, right? Brings us spiritual life. We know that. We get it. That one's easy. Did you know, though, did you know that Jesus died, was crucified, on Passover. So he fulfilled those things of that feast on Passover. I wish I had time to just tell you all that we could. We talked about this last night at our Seder. 150 of us going through a Jewish Seder talking about all this stuff. Look it up for yourself. Go and study about this. What you're going to find is that everything surrounding Jesus' death lines up with how they celebrated Passover. It's crazy. It's amazing. Again, God always comes through with the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Amen. Unleavened bread. How did Jesus fulfill unleavened bread? This one takes a little more thought and there's several angles that you could take this from. I'm gonna try to simplify it, maybe even just focus on one particular angle. Unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was meant to remind Israel that their old life was dead. Old life was lived in a wicked place amongst a wicked people. You could say that unleavened bread was about being dead to sin. In fact, their wicked oppressors, remember the story, were crushed by the waves of the Red Sea, right? Think about it. Israel's past was buried. Okay, so how did Jesus fulfill the feast of unleavened bread? Well, let me ask you this. Jesus died on the cross. What was the very next event that happened in sequence? Jesus was put in the grave, right? They buried Jesus in that tomb. And I was thinking about this. I want you to think about this. They crucified Jesus as a criminal, right? What kind of burial do criminals receive? Criminals, the way they would bury criminals is throw them out in the field and leave them to the wolves and the vultures, right? Let the, maybe they might throw them in the fire and, and, and burn them up. But that's the, kind of, that's the kind of death a criminal receives. Jesus should have been tossed to the dogs, right? Based upon what they were saying about them. The, 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 the way a person was buried was really important. I'm, I'll just tell you this. The way a person was buried to the Jewish people, the way they were buried was really important to them. It was an important thing. According to the crowd, Jesus should have been tossed to the dogs. He should have been left to the buzzards or thrown in a garbage pile and, and, and burnt up. But according to God, they said he's a criminal and deserves the dogs. But according to God, look what it says in Isaiah 53 down in verse 9. This is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that that speaks about the Messiah that would come. It says that his grave was assigned with wicked men. Again, the crowd said he was a criminal. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. In other words, that's not the kind of burial 
that he received. He received a rich man's burial because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Again, according to the crowd, his grave assignment was to be tossed out in the field to be eaten by wolves and vultures. But because Jesus was without sin, I know this is deep, but y'all are listening to me. We're going to bring the kids back up here and we're going to bring it back to, our, to the surface. You know what I'm saying? Because Jesus was without sin, he was without leaven, what he got was a rich man's burial. They said he deserves a criminal's burial. Remember? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. The fulfillment of that is that a man named Joseph of Arimathea, it says a prominent, this is in Mark 15, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. He had a heart for God. Went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And we know the story. He got it. And he was buried <laughs> in a rich man's tomb. You gotta love a tomb. You gotta love this, you guys. I'm reading this as like, this is awesome. The crowd said he's a criminal, deserves a criminal's death, but God fulfilled his promise that he laid out there in Isaiah 53, verse 9, through, and check this out, not just a rich man. It could have been any rich man. Any rich man could have said, you know, this guy, I want him to have my grave. It wasn't just any rich man. It says that it was a member of the council, talking about the religious council. I'm going to just say it this way. Jesus received about as honorable of a burial as you could get. You guys hear what I'm saying? Are you with me? Can we go a little bit further? Okay. So Jesus fulfilled unleavened bread by becoming sin, right? That's what we learn in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus became sin. He died and was buried. You could say sin was buried. Sin was put in the ground. Okay, but remember, Scripture also prophesied that Messiah would not see decay. He's in the ground for a couple days and his body decomposed none, not at all. It was prophesied. And that's because only, only truly dead bodies, guilty criminals, that's going to decay. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't any of that. His body didn't see decay. Anyway, guess what? Jesus was in the ground during the feast of unleavened bread. So he died on Passover. He was in the ground in the feast of unleavened bread. Again, God always comes through with the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. Now, let me ask you this. Thinking through the order of, of how we know the Passion Week went and, and the crucifixion of Jesus and all that stuff, what is the very next thing that happened to Jesus? Somebody tell me. Yes, he rose again. Amen? Let's say yes. One more time. Yes. With a fist pump. Yes. Boom. Okay, but here's the deal. Does that line up with the next feast? Because the next feast is first fruits. And remember, first fruits is about an agricultural event. It was about the agricultural cycle. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Okay, so we know we're on target, right? Okay. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits 
of those who are asleep. Everybody say, hi. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. And look what it says again. Christ, the first fruits. Right? After those who are in Christ at his coming. Now, ultimately, you look at this, and this is talking about the final resurrection, the resurrection that happens at the end of the age, the resurrection that happens at the second coming of Jesus, which is what all the fall feasts are about. He will fulfill the fall feasts. The fall feasts are all about that kind of stuff. Jesus has fulfilled the spring feast. He will fulfill the ones that will happen in the fall. The fall feasts are eschatological. That means they're about the end times, okay? But listen, we don't know when any of that stuff's going to happen, do we? We don't know when when the end times are going to happen, and we think about, you know, uh, I think about the end times stuff, I think end times, the last days, eschatology, Jesus' second coming, all that stuff. That's a big subject. How many of you know, if you've done any kind of study, and that's a big subject, right? Surely, there is a right here and right now relevance to Jesus rising from the dead on the feast of first fruits because he did he rose again on the third feast the feast of first fruits is there more than just a at the end of the age we will experience the final resurrection is there a right now right here relevance yes there is okay and that's what i want to talk about now so if i can get my my crew back up where's my crew crew come back up (coughs) take your places give these guys a mid applause Yes. Awesome. Y'all stand there and look uh, pretty. Give yourself a little bit of space in case one of you wants to get crazy. I want to show you guys something. I want you to listen to me. Real careful. You see this? This is a ping pong seed. This ping pong seed has the ability to produce a million ping pongs right here within the, the center of this ping pong seed. Some of you didn't know that you could do that with a ping pong seed. But it, listen, this is a ping pong seed and it has the ability, an amazing ability to produce millions of ping pongs. Now, the only way that would happen is if you put this ping pong seed into the ground. You guys hear what I'm saying? You have to plant it into the ground. Now, you might be thinking, but that's my ping pong seed. That's my special ping pong seed. I've named him Pingy. I can't get rid of my ping pong seed. Yeah, but if you don't, all you will ever have is that single ping pong seed. And that's okay, because I love Pingy. But think about it. If the ping pong seed does not go into the ground, its ability to produce a million more ping pong seeds is not really put into play. You guys hear what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah? You picking up what I'm laying down? Right? Now, what I've just said about the ping pong seed is, I mean, it's, this, that's basic botany, right? That is a basic principle in botany, if you think about it. Now, who better than anyone else would know that 
principle of botany better than the one who created the principle. You might remember in John chapter 12, verse 24, that Jesus was talking. And if you read the account, I I wanted to preach on this whole section, but I thought, no, I got to talk about ping pong seeds, man. Jesus is actually with, he had just been with Lazarus, Lazarus and his family, the guy he raised from the dead. They're actually, uh, scholars believe they were having a party for him, celebrating the fact that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. It was all about resurrection, this big whole scene about the resurrection from the dead. It's interesting. And then um, a little bit later in John chapter 12, Jesus says something that's pretty interesting. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. Jesus knows botany. Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. All all you ever have is that ping pong seed, that grain of wheat, that kernel of wheat. That's all you'll, oh, and you name that one wheaty. You know what I mean? But if it goes into the ground, if it's planted into the ground and it goes through the process, which is basically dying before it can bring life, if it goes into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. You guys hear what I'm saying? This weekend is first fruits weekend. You can call it what you want. You can call it Easter if you want, you can, whatever you want. But this, this is first fruits weekend because Jesus died on Passover Let me say it this way. Jesus died on Passover. Give a nice smile, Passover. (laughs) That side didn't get to see you. I'm going to move this. Obstruct the view from my daughter. We ain't going to have that. (laughs) Oh, oh. Jesus died on Passover, was in the ground on unleavened bread, And he came up out of the ground on first fruits. Let me say it this way. Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it'll remain just a single seed. Just over here. Yeah! Jesus doing miracles forever. But that's 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 not what Jesus said. Right? Jesus said, I I gotta go away. And I'm going to send you the helper. And when he fills you up, you're going, to be the, you're going to have the power to be my witnesses. And you're going to actually be able to do more than I've ever done. Not so much in, in magnitude, but in measure. You guys hear what I'm saying? I got to go into the ground and die so that I can bear much fruit. So he didn't, and remember, uh, Peter multiple times said, no, Jesus don't die. He's like, no, pingy. And Jesus is like, what? Right? Let's go back over here, Passover. Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. You can't tell me Jesus wasn't thinking about Passover. Dude, Jesus was Jewish. 
He knew about Passover, first, uh, unleavened bread, and, and first fruits, right? You can't tell me Jesus wasn't thinking about first fruits. You guys hear what I'm saying? And y'all stay here. I may, I may come and push on you a little bit more here in a minute. What does that mean? What is the fruit of the resurrection that Jesus brought? It's really important that we go out of here knowing that tonight. Remember I said, is, is the fruit of, of the resurrection just that we'll have resurrected bodies at the end of the age when Jesus comes back? Is that, is that the only fruit? Well, no, because Paul said in Philippians, he's talking to the Philippians, and he said all kinds of good things to the Philippians. He's the one that said that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The reason he's able to do that, because he went into the ground and died. Amen? So Jesus is going to finish what he started. And what he started was bearing fruit. Anyway, he said to the Philippians, he said, uh, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to him in his death so that I may somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. If you look in that, this is Philippians 3, 10 and 11, it talks about two benefits, two fruits that are available to everyone who have put their trust in the one who went into the ground and rose from the ground. And it's not just a final resurrection. Well, I can't wait till Jesus comes back or the end of the age because finally I'll have a little peace around here. That is not what God had in mind for his children. Well, it says when we get to heaven, there will be no more tears. We'll be with the Prince of Peace. We'll get to hang out and walk on streets of gold. Now, I don't know that we'll ever be able to walk on streets of gold while we're down on this earth, but we are guaranteed peace. One of the last things Jesus said before he went back to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit is, my peace I give to you. And joy, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, all of these things Allow us to live what Paul here calls the power of his resurrection. Remember when he was in the, in the grave? He was in the grave doing what? Showing sin, it ain't got no more power. Showing death, it ain't got no power. When he rose from the grave, he left sin there. And he left death there. And what he brought up, is, he left that in the grave. There's a newness of life. We've been talking about that a lot at SOMA. And that's why so many people are being baptized. They realize that they, they barely remember the details of when they were baptized when they were, you know, six weeks old or whatever. And they want to do that now that they are in Christ and they understand what it means and they want to publicly tell people. The power of his resurrection. We have the ability. And even let me just come back to that sermon in the sentence. God always comes through with the appropriate things at the appropriate time. One of the things that I thought about is how when you face temptation, don't worry because God has provided you with a way of escape. Think about that. Even when we're facing temptation, that thing that's before us, we want to touch, we want to taste, we want to do. God says, I've provided you a way with escape. That is a free gift from me. It's called grace and it comes right along with the power of his resurrection. You guys with me? And you can have, you can have your life. You can have your ping pong seed, but who doesn't want millions of ping pongs? 
I mean, seriously, that would be fun to dive into a thing of millions of people, right? Right, kids? That would be fun. We don't just want this life. We want the life that he died to provide for. And he spoke this process. He's been speaking to it since they came out of Egypt. The seven feasts. And that fourth feast, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, is the day he filled, fulfilled that one by sending his Holy Spirit. I wish we had more time to talk about that, but we don't. Here's what I do want. I would love for you guys to stand. I'm going to go ahead, go ahead and give a post applause to my, my helpers. You got it. I don't know why you came tonight. Maybe you came because you just felt like it was the right thing to do this time of year to find yourself back in a church building. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you've actually been kind of looking for a church home and you heard Soma was the bomb. And so you came. Don't blame you. But you might actually be someone that that is truly on a spiritual journey of wanting to reconnect with the Lord. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been hanging on to your own single life. And that's all you got. And you're really not satisfied with a single seed. You really want to see more fruit in your life. The fruit of righteousness, less sin, more purity of heart, mind, hands. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. Let us not lift our souls up to idols. Let's not swear by what is false, right? Maybe there's something very specific on your heart. What I would love is for us to just, as we close tonight, I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to be officially dismissed. At the end of most of our services, we have a time for everyone to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to them. And there's three ways that we respond. We usually have one communion station set up over there and you have the ability, the freedom to take communion if you want to reconnect with the Lord that way. We've already taken communion tonight. So unless you really want to do, you know, second breakfast, then you don't have to do that. We also make the altars available if you just want to come and kneel before the Lord and have a moment with him, just you and him responding to him, maybe repenting of sins, maybe, maybe um, um, recommitting your life to the Lord, maybe coming to the Lord the first time. You may be here and you, it's like this whole thing has never clicked for you. But tonight it has for some reason and you're motivated deep inside of your heart. I don't want to be, sorry, I didn't mean to throw out the eye. I don't want to be a single seed anymore. I want ping pongs, ping pong balls everywhere in my life. Okay? I encourage you to do that. Why put that off? Peace is available. Joy is available. It doesn't mean life's going to get easy. But the grace and the power of his resurrection immediately comes. How many of you can attest to that? Yes. Or you may just have something that's on your heart that you want someone to pray with you about. We're going to have leaders over here, some elders and small group leaders over here available if you just need prayer for anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Um... And so when I pray, they'll have some music playing, and we're officially dismissed, okay? And if you need to go, you have plans, you're welcome to leave. But I would encourage you, whether in your seat or, or if you want to take communion again, if you want to come to the altar, pray with someone, I encourage you to take a few minutes and, and, and let the Lord finish that work he begun in you tonight. Amen? You guys good?
Are you encouraged? If you feel comfortable, just lift a hand to the Lord. Lord, we are in this house tonight on Resurrection Weekend. First fruit, celebrating your victory over sin and death. And you have promised that the power of resurrection is available to us. You tell us, Lord, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Lord, we know that many times, oftentimes our lives do not reflect that truth. But we're saying, would you deposit something into our hearts tonight that would cause a shift? And may we walk out of here a little different, maybe a lot different than when we came in. And we're trusting that you're going to do what you promised that you would do. You tell us when we ask, you're not going to be an evil father that would give us a snake or a scorpion, but you're going to give us the right thing, which is the Holy Spirit. We say that we love you. We say that we trust you. And we give this night, we give this weekend to you. In Jesus' name.